0: In part two of my conversation with Joe Salcihai, we delve into the misconceptions surrounding estate planning. Joe's going to share some really funny anecdotes and practical insights from his book, Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management, co-authored with Emily Guy Birkin. You're also going to learn some crucial components of estate planning, the importance of choosing the right executor, and the potential pitfalls to avoid. So whether you're a novice or you have some experience in financial matters, this episode offers some valuable advice for anyone interested in securing their financial legacy.
1: This is the Executor Help Podcast, the show for people who want the sense of security knowing all their affairs are in order. Avoid the stress and anxiety of what could happen to your estate, to your assets, and to your family when you're no longer here. Now here's your
0: host, David Eadie. In your opinion, how crucial is estate planning and What are some of the common misconceptions when people start thinking about this area of financial management? I know in the book, you call it estate planning, the final frontier. Why is that?
1: Yeah. Well, it's a final frontier because I don't know about if you know this, David, but none of us gets out of here alive. So it truly is.
0: Wow. Okay. That's shocking. Because usually (laughs) I just say spoiler alert, but well, you've come in from a different angle. So what you're saying is we're all going to die at some point. Is that what you're saying? Yes.
1: And- I know shock, right? And guess what? The other, the other piece, the other piece of this is you already have an estate plan without doing one. I know people like I could put this off. I can put this off. Well, guess what? There is good news. You have an estate plan. The government has made it for you. And I encourage you to go look at the government's estate plan for you. By the way, you also have a prenuptial agreement and for anybody that's been divorced and didn't have a prenup, Tell me how that went. There's this guy. Are you familiar, David, with Dr. Phil, the yes. the, the popular talk show go guy? I'll, yes, I'll do yes, a Dr. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll do a Dr. Phil. How's that working for you?
0: Right. I was about to say that. You stole. I was going to say. <laughs> so because I, could, because I thought you were going to say, if you a pancake has two sides, if you flip one, it's on the other side or something like that. But you stole the one I was going to say. How's that working for you? Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, so it's already, it's already set up. And once you know how bad it is, you realize how urgent it is that you do it now. And back to our, our friend, Tiffany Aliche, the budget nista to story, you just never know when it's going to hit. And so what, you know, Emily and I write jokely at the beginning of the, these chapters. And, and this book is a amalgamation of two things. It's the Cub Scout Wolf Guide the, the, the Cub Scouts meets the Hardy boys detective manual, which was a book I carried around when I was in fourth grade because it was written with the help of a real FBI agent. And that was really cool. And I thought this is legit, right? This is, these are legitimate steps. So I wanted a book that was campy like that, but about money for adults. So we begin every, every chapter, which we call achievements, every achievement with the things you're going to need. And the first thing I talk about David here is you need a crystal ball. Because frankly, with estate planning, if you got a crystal ball, just do this a few days before something bad happens and you don't got to worry about it until then, you're good.
0: There you go, absolutely. But
1: if you you don't have the crystal ball like Tiffany didn't on that day when her husband was 41 years old, you probably should do it now because the one the government has free is not that great.
0: The writing process between you and Emily. Now I've written a book. I wrote mine during COVID by myself, got up every morning, six o'clock and I wrote. The two of you, in terms of the humor and everything that you're trying to pack in, what was the writing process between the two of you? There's got to be stuff that didn't make it into the book, but you guys also had to have been laughing the whole time. The particular. it It comes out on the pages.
1: Uh, thank you. I never get to talk about this enough cuz I truly enjoyed it. I heard from a lot of authors, you know, what a painful process it was and uh, a difficult birth.
0: Aye, aye, aye.
1: <laughs> this was super fun, David. It was super fun. Uh, once we got writing, we uh, I would try to write 2000 words a day, 4 days a week. And um and I would I, I we we started off with an outline. I took half the chapters where I felt strongest. Emily took the other half where she felt strongest. We both had one goal because I know Emily, Emily's claim to fame, she's written five books before this. Her biggest one is the five years before you retire. She knows all the estate planning stuff. Her dad was a financial planner. She's you know been well published by some of the biggest publications out there. So we both know our stuff. So we had one mission besides make sure we get the facts right, which was my goal was to make Emily laugh. I didn't care about anybody else. I was just trying to startle Emily and make her laugh, and she was trying to do the same with me. She told me later, so she would send her chapters to me for editing. I would send mine to her, a to edit it and b to smooth it out. Because there's things where where I would write them and it definitely sounds like Joe. There's stuff she would write that would sound like Emily. And while in some places you get that, we wanted it to truly feel like it was co-authored, and so we smoothed out the rough patches. And it's funny. There's some dick jokes in this book. I didn't write any of them. And yet if you knew me and you knew Emily, you would think that I wrote all of those. I didn't write one of them. Emily wrote every single one. And yet I'm the one that gets accused of writing those. So,
0: Okay. Well, that's quite <laughs> the process. Okay. Within the book, especially in chapter nine, which is talking about estate planning, you mentioned that, hey, we're not getting out of here alive. And I, I think you, I don't know if that's actual an actual quote from john cleese but how would how how was it written in the book that you want to share with people
1: john (laughs) let me let me turn to the page because uh uh we write and actually emily wrote this chapter initially but she says if it's easier imagine john cleese the british comedian describing it thusly with increasing hysteria you will cease to be you'll expire and go meet your maker bereft of life you will rest in peace your metabolic processes will be history. You'll be off the twig. You'll kick the bucket, shuffle off this mortal coil, run down the curtain, and join the bleeding choir invisible. You will someday, General Reader, be an ex-Benjamin stacker, I think. And if I had John Cleese, if I could read it, we should have hired him and had
0: him read really? it for us. But There's no budget for that, but- sorry. We have There budget. was none. No, there's there's a budget for your shirts, but not for <laughs> John Cleese. What, or what are the options that people have once they have this information? John Cleese has written this and told them that they're no longer going to be here. So where what, what are the options? Yeah. That people have?
1: Well, I think you have three basic options, right? First one is just ignore that anything's going to happen to you go about living your life. And we already talked about that. The, the, the government already has an estate plan for you. So just ignore this. Second one is freak out about it, right? Because it is a big job. And then you go, Oh my goodness. Once you see it, people tend to sometimes freak out. Or the third thing is, just calmly address it and get it done today, which by the way, Emily and I also tell everyone right after that, that if you do option three, which is get it done, you can still live your life after that completely the same. And you can freak out if you want to, like, if you still want to freak out, you're open to have that, uh, that experience as well.
0: I know that, um, we started to talk about, you know, every, you know, like I got my story and before I Pushed record you start to tell me a little bit about story when it comes to estate planning maybe you want to share that in terms of i don't know are there any lessons learned or when you oh, start to some, tell mm-hmm. me the beginning part i just start to nod i'm like okay i see that
1: yeah yeah before we hit record i said i've got an estate story you're like save it for the save it for the save it for the episode so uh my dad has 16 brothers and sisters big catholic family Oof. my my grandparents owned a 125-acre fruit farm, which, when they bought it, was on the end of a lake that was not very developed. By the time my grandparents passed away, it was very developed. David, this had become very, very uh, popular property. Very popular property. When I would go around the the Kalamazoo, Michigan area, which is where I grew up, and I would, uh, uh, I ran. Track in college and ran in high school and uh, cross country. And when I when I would go to meets, people would always come up to me and go, "Oh, you're from the blueberry people," because it was a blueberry apple farm, but mostly known for the blueberries. So uh, I was, you know, the blueberry kid in high school. Uh, when my grandmother died my my grandmother died maybe five years after my grandfather died. The farm. The while my grandparents were alive, they tried to decide what to do with the farm between the 17 kids. Some kids offered to buy it and and they talked about getting three appraisals and taking the middle one, you know, these fair ways to buy it. They could never agree. So my grandmother did what I thought was the right thing. And she in her estate documents told the executor, the oldest child, my Aunt Mary said, you are are instructed to sell the farm. The second I pass away, when I pass away, put the farm up for sale, period at full stop. No question. Nobody can agree. So we're going to put it because David, it was super valuable land. Right. And if we put it up for sale, what my grandma said, what my grandma thought was if I put it up for sale, one of the kids wants it, they can still buy it, but they had the opportunity ahead of time to buy it on a closed environment And nobody, nobody could step up and they just kept infighting. So my grandma shut it down and said, sell it right away. Well, my Aunt Mary did what I saw as a financial advisor. I saw executors do all the time, which was take my grandmother's explicit wishes. And because she wanted to be quote, nice to everybody, threw them in the trash and had a family meeting. And David, you know how that family meeting went. It went the way it did. while my grandmother was alive. They could decide. I had these two uncles who said, no, there's, there are land, there's land there where we like to hunt. We go deer hunting there. It's a 125 acre fruit farm. Do you know what the, what the taxes are just on the holding cost on that land? And now it's a non-working farm. My dad stepped up and another uncle stepped up and they said, we would work the farm. These other relatives go, no, no, no. You're not getting all those profits. You're not, you're, you're not taking advantage. It's not your land. You're not taking advantage of that. So all of this fruit goes to seed the entire farm go. And and if you don't, think about apples or blueberries, if you don't harvest those things every year, immediately they get bad in a hurry. So, so within two years, It's all destroyed and they're still hanging on to it. David, they hung on to that farm for six years after my grandma explicitly said to sell it. Guess when they decided to finally sell it? Because finally they go, my Aunt Mary goes, hey, the holding cost is too high. We're going to go ahead and put it on the market. And everybody finally agreed. They finally got buy-in, which Aunt Mary didn't need buy-in. She already had it in the will. It was a done deal but she waited for quote buy-in from six seventeen different parties. She got buy-in during the housing crisis, 2007, hey. 2008. They sell this beautiful farm for about 40% less money. Because if you remember the value of all real
0: estate, yeah.
1: went in the tank, sold it for about 40% less money than they would have gotten five years earlier had they just followed my grandmother's wishes.
0: Wow. And, and that's the problem when you, the executor, your, your Aunt Mary shouldn't have listened to, you know, thinking she's doing the right thing. Your your grandmother said, this is what I want. And your, your aunt should have just said, no, this is what we're doing. Doesn't matter what everybody thinks. This is what grandma wants. End of story. And um, yeah, it's it's, but then again, your grandmother should have had a conversation with everybody say, this is when I'm gone this is what Mary's going to do. End of story. Oh, everybody.
1: Uh, no, David, everybody knew. Everybody knew that farm was going to be sold. Uh, she it, was very clear that that farm was going to get sold. It, and a, cu- a couple of the uncles got married to back down. Um, And I'll tell you this though. So when I counseled people, when I was a financial planner, I would, I would always tell them and I would use this blunt language. So I'll apologize for the language at a time, but this is what I, what I said is that, When you choose an executor, you need to choose somebody who's very comfortable being seen as a dick by some people, by being seen as as a hard ass, by being seen as, because you know what? You owe nobody anything except that document. And your job as executor is just to follow the document. And so who in your family can do that? Because that's who you want as your executor. Because nobody's, every family, nobody's going to be 100% happy. And it generally, David, in my experience, is that one person who is able to just cut to, nope, this is the way it is. And you know what? There maybe were some bad feelings for six months, 12 months, whatever. But people get over that because they're like, oh, well, that's what grandma wanted. I got mad at David for a little while because he was being such a hard ass about it. But he was just following grandma's recommendation or grandma's you know, wishes. So everything turned up. People get over that. Goodness. It, it's, the the it, it's, number of people that would put two people in charge too, or would want to put two people in charge. Please don't give people 50. And this, by the way, is my opinion. I don't know if you feel the same. Don't, don't give people 50, 50. No, Just
0: holy I, I got that in the book, but when I do the rewrite, um, excuse my language, I, 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 I was able not to use that language, but I think, you know what I need to put in, you need to be a dick. So <laughs> at <right>. some point, <laughs> Yeah, you because know, I've got all different areas in terms of what it means to be an executor. But now you know, um, maybe there's a chapter you need. You need to be a dick. How to be a dick as an executor? <laughs> that's maybe right. That's a, maybe that's a, the the second book to change the thing. <laughs> as the executor and the whole area of estate planning, you say that think of your estate planning as sort of a Thanksgiving day table. So what makes up your Thanksgiving day table when it comes to estate planning?
1: Well, I love this analogy because it, uh, because it, uh, it it really, when you can, when you can paint a picture of this makes it far easier. And as you know, David, people freak out about estate planning. So uh, uh, Thanksgiving as you know, in is in the United States, you're contractually obligated to have a turkey. So the Turkey is the, is the the 99% of the time, not optional have to have it. It's the centerpiece of Thanksgiving. So you have a Turkey. Then the Turkey is the will. The will is the centerpiece that you have to have in your estate plan. Period. Everything else revolves around that. Now you've got some, you've got some other documents. You've got the, you've got the uh, durable power of attorney, the healthcare power of attorney. Those might be, Emily calls those the stuffing. You've got the uh, green beans. I love the green beans, by the way. Uh, she calls that the letter of intent, but Emily says, eh, if there's no letter of intent, people don't often notice. Uh, 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 you'll have the, you'll have the living will or the, 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 the patient advocate uh, directive. I'll that'll be, yeah, that'll be like the uh, mashed potato. She calls it you've, you've kind of got to have the mashed potatoes if you're going to have the turkey, right? Yeah. What I love though, she calls the, the the trust, the cranberry sauce. And what I love about this analogy is I freaking hate cranberry sauce. And she's like, listen, some people love the cranberry sauce. Some people hate the cranberry sauce, but the cranberry sauce comes in all kinds of different varieties. People make it a different way. And even people that love cranberry sauce, like all kinds of different ones, trust work is really, really important. For very specific circumstances, and by the way, for probably more people than 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 we probably think. So maybe you should eat your cranberries. but um but-
0: yeah, I, you should eat your cranberries. I, I see that. I I see the analogy. I'm not big on the turkey, but I I see where we're <laughs> we're heading with that. So with the with the will being the centerpiece of the of of the Thanksgiving Day table, the will, is that centerpiece. And I know your mom, I, I don't want to leave your mom out. Sounds like a great lady. I don't want to leave her out. She shares um, talks about the different ways you can have a will uh, and getting an estate attorney. Can you share that?
1: Yeah, it was pretty funny in the book. Uh, my my mom has a sassy take on lots of these and she definitely has one about estate planning. And her thing is, is that, you know what? Uh, there are lots of cost cutting ways to get this done which is pretty cool a lot of fintech companies that come out David that you know and, and I know uh, that do a will that looks and smells and breathes a lot like a will that you will pay a bunch of money for or even frankly a trust that you would pay a bunch of money for and at at the surface level to me that seems pretty good and a mom she says that seems pretty good if I can get the same thing I would pay an attorney for, and that, uh, uh I, I got to pay nothing for job it's absolutely done. fantastic. Yeah. Yes. But then I think about, you know, a uh, cousin Eunice who has had three different husbands and the second one has three kids and she loves those kids, but it's going to be a, uh, an estate planning hell. Well, for her especially, but I frankly think even more than mom does that part of the estate planning process for me is that your family's gonna seek out an attorney no matter what happens when you pass away. And you've got two choices. They can go out on their own, they can pick one, or you can prepay ahead of time to know exactly who they're, because if you get yours done by a certain person, there's a 99% chance the average family is gonna go directly back to that person. So to find somebody that you know, that you trust, that can guide your family ahead of time, especially if it's complicated, but even if it's not complicated, I prefer to pay an attorney to do it. Full well knowing, and this is what I like about mom's point, David, full well knowing that you could have done it for free and over the short term, it would have been a lot less expensive. I think there's short term and obvious and there's long term and not so obvious. I think this is long term and not so obvious to pay when you could have gotten it for free.
0: Bottom line is to do something because in Canada and U.S., is between like i've seen statistics as high as 60% in us and canada um there's no will
1: totally. and canadians
0: and americans aren't doing any wills
1: totally agree so, if the if the line between you doing something and nothing is the cost of the attorney please go to one of those zero dollar people and just get it done
0: or, or do it online um there's a lot of uh solutions that you can do it yourself online but yeah. again if you have if you've got someone like a uh, cousin Eunice in the in the family, you know, she's in the mix, then you need to do something else. Before I let you go, one last question. There's a great story of something that came up in the book that I never even heard of. Um, it happened to Emily. And it's about the pitfalls that people should be aware of when it comes to uh, estate planning and the potential challenge. Maybe you want to share um, Emily's story about the inheritance death.
1: Yeah, Emily has a heart-wrenching story Which I think is going to make, uh, hopefully everyone realize that no matter what you put in place and David, you and I talked about this too, no matter what you put in place, if you've got somebody who is just evil in your family, uh, uh, it's can still be very difficult. She had a situation where her, her dad and mom had divorced and dad was remarried to a woman that he had worked with. They had a fairly uh, Emily and her sister had a fairly acrimonious relationship with this woman. Um, and when dad passed away, even though he directed that the money needed to go to Emily and to her sister, he put his wife in charge solely of the estate. <clears throat> and so the 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 spouse. Kind of pulled in Aunt Mary, but there's a difference in intent here. Aunt Mary was trying to make everybody happy. Emily's dad, his new spouse was trying to make sure that Emily and her sister were unhappy and that she got everything. And so she put all she 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 just stole the money, daring them to sue her. They ended up having to sue her. And it was this long contentious battle because the, 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 the new spouse was just going to fight it and fight it and fight it. And I think frankly, David and Emily think so too. She'd already spent the money. She had spent the money she was supposed to give to them. So she cautions you on putting, you know, where I said, don't make things 50, 50, having a checks and balances system where there are people to oversee people sometimes is a great thing. And I'll give you an analogy of this, especially if you have kids in the mix, as an example, having a conservator, somebody who's in charge of the money for the kids, and somebody who's the guardian for your kids when you pass away can be a good idea because yeah. we, we've all seen these stories, you know, the Cinderella story, right? The dad passes away. The kid goes to the new stepmom. all of a sudden, or the, 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 new quote guardian, and they're blowing through all the money, you know, as fast as they can and really don't care about the kid as much as they pretended to the, having those as two separate people can be a good checks and balance. Um, now realize these people are never going to like each other. Well, one person's job is to hold the other person accountable. The other person is going to it's going to yeah. drive them crazy because they got to beg for every dollar they get. So watch out for what you do. But depending on the situation, making sure you have a check and balance so that you don't have the Emily situation, uh, I think is super important.
0: Yeah. Ooh, Joe, we spent a lot of time together here. How can more people uh, get more of Joe Sihai? Uh, I thought. How do, they do How do they do that? <laughs> They're probably saying, oh, my God, David, you and Joe have been talking. How, how do we get more of this guy?
1: If, if if there were only a podcast where you could find great guests like David on our show, telling uh, horrific stories like David's story and giving people great lessons while at the same time having a lot of laughs every Monday, Wednesday, Friday is the Stacking Benjamin show. We call it the greatest money show on earth because, as you know, David, it's a total circus. It's meant to be a variety show. We have mentors every Monday, Wednesday, like you, come on and share great strategies and tips with our stackers. On Friday, we have a roundtable discussion between uh, some of the 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 biggest and brightest names in personal finance. Uh, Paula Pant and Len Penzo are our, are on our show every week, and and um, and when they take breaks, we have other wonderful people on. Which leads me, David, to we got to have you on our roundtable soon. We got to get you back.
0: I'd look forward to that. Uh, is it everything's gonna take place in your mom's basement? Absolutely, hundred percent. Can I'm in Montreal. Would you like me to bring some Montreal bagels and uh, lox? Maybe I'll bring a little local delicacy to to, to you know jazz things up. Just let's, throw an idea. Though.
1: Let's let's step it up, David. I got to tell you, one of my personal favorite mentors we've had come to the basement is a guy named Daniel Lamar who was yeah. the CEO of Cirque du Soleil, which is in your backyard. So I want you to bring Cirque du Soleil with you down to
0: speaking which Circus. Which one? Because I've seen enough Cirque du Soleil in my life. Don't get me started on them. They're, Just they're,
1: bring any you want. Just which, bring the Circus with you, David.
0: Sure, that I, I appreciate it. Joe, uh, Saul, see hi. I appreciate you. I appreciate you um, being on the show. Um, I urge people to go out and get the book that you and Emily guy Birkin put together, Stacked your super genius guide to money management. It's available at all great uh, online uh, retailers. I uh, actually, I even seen it here in uh, Canada at Indigo. So uh, you're, you're international. And so again, Canadians, he's stacking Benjamins, but also think of it as stacking Sir Robert Borden's. <laughs> it's all the same thing. We're all the same. So once again, Joe, thanks so very much. Maybe sometime in the future, we can do something else and have another chat because, uh, You've got a lot of great stories. You're funny. Um, you're great at interpretive dance. And um, you wear nice... Sh- nobody, no, I, I have to say in most recent history, nobody wears a court jester hat like you do. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. Thank you. Here are three key takeaways from this episode. None of us escape mortality. So if you don't have a plan, don't worry. The government already has an estate plan for you. So it's crucial to take control of the process now. Two, think of your will like the turkey, the centerpiece of your Thanksgiving Day dinner. And three, when choosing an executor, pick someone who will be comfortable making tough decisions. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Can you do me a favor? Show some love for the podcast by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Can you share it with your community? Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want more information, free resources, or just want to get in touch, go to davideadie.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.